Hi, this is Roland Fisher, lead pastor of Second City Church, and we hope that you're well. Welcome to our online service. We hope you leave today encouraged, full of faith, and ready to take the kingdom of God wherever you may go. We're so glad that you've chosen to join us today, and once again, welcome. Now, if this is your first time, what we're doing is we're continuing our sermon series, which is entitled, These Three Remain. And the three things that remain to which we're referring are faith, hope, and love. Our first two messages really are part one and part two of our faith message as well as our hope message you can find on the website. But today we're focusing on love because really the question that we all have in our minds as we move forward into 2021 is how do we move forward into a better day? In our year, after the year that we experienced, how do we in fact move forward into a better day? And what we're here to propose is that God's way is the way to the better day. And ultimately, God's way is found in the tool or the element of love in which he commands us to walk as his people, as his church. And so we're going to focus on this statement today that we will walk in the redemption of God as Jesus remains the standard of our love as Jesus himself remains the standard of our love. We're going to break this message down into three parts. We're going to talk first about the look of love. What does it actually look like when we're walking in a biblical love? Secondly, we're going to talk about the labor of love, that though it's a great ideal, we all know that we have to actually put forth effort to walk in the love that God's in fact called us to. And then finally, we're going to talk about redeeming love. What does God's redeeming love look like in a practical nature in our interaction with one another. And so before we do anything else, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today, and we thank you that you've, through your word, given us the tools that we need to make this world not just a better place, but to really be the salt of the earth a preservative and flavoring agent, the light of the world, that which provides illumination of how things should be. Even as Jesus, you said you are the light of the world. Father, help us by your word today to show us what you intended through the dynamic of love in Jesus' name and help us to walk in it. Amen. All right, so let's start by talking about the look of love. Now, whenever we talk about love, the clearest depiction of love that we have in the scripture is one that we utilized in a message back in the summer months where we were doing a series called The God Who Is. And one of those uh, in that series was basically talking about different attributes of God. And in that series, one of the messages was talking about how God is in fact love and truth. Now, we reference 1 Corinthians 13 in that uh, message because God in 1 Corinthians 13 was having the Apostle Paul write about the motivation behind his power demonstrations. The motivation behind his power demonstrations. If you look in the uh, book, which was actually a letter written to the Corinthian church during the Roman Empire, Paul was explaining that the spiritual gifts of God were actually power manifestations and demonstrations to testify to the fact of Jesus' divinity, and not only Jesus' divinity, meaning his claims about himself that he made in the Gospels, but also his resurrection from the dead, showing with power that not only is he the Son of God, but he lives today to testify to the truth of who he is. And he does that by the third person of the Trinity operating, the Holy Spirit operating in gifts through his people today. 
Now, Paul was writing saying, I'm going to first explain the gifts because I don't want you to be ignorant about them. And then in chapter 14, he said, I'm going to show you how to operate in those gifts in order because God's not a God of disorder, but of peace, how to operate in order in those gifts within the church. That was chapter 14. But in 13, right in between the chapter 12 and chapter 14, where God was describing both the gifts and their proper operation, he said in verse chapter 13, you find the motivation for those gifts, which is in fact the love of God. So that every time we see God's hand move in our life, it is motivated by that love that he described to us, a love that is patient and is kind that doesn't keep record of wrongs, but is always looking to protect, persevere, is always looking to demonstrate God's compassion towards his people and the world, even the world that's set against him that he still loves. That is the motivation behind it. And in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says this in verse eight, that love, when you're trying to figure out what love looks like, you need to understand love never ends. Love never ends, and that's good news towards us. As for prophecies, one of the gifts of God, which is both predictive in nature and meant by God to strengthen, encourage, and comfort his people, God's speaking to them, he said they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, which means remain. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And so Paul's saying that eventually at the return of Christ, see, the gospel is wrapped up in the fact that not only does God demonstrate his power, showing us on the cross that he was the son of God who was taking on the wrath of God on himself to pay for the sin that you and I have committed against a holy and righteous God, taking the punishment of God and the wrath of God that we deserve. And because of his innocence, he was raised from the dead after dying at the cross, so that we could have not only forgiveness, but newness of life. He said, not only do I testify to this through the power of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but he says, eventually, the ultimate gospel is, the good news is, is that Christ is going to make a return and redeem or restore, bringing right things back into order as he originally designed. And when that day comes, The partial will pass away because the perfect will have come. Now, many people, uh, a lot of times, reference the canonized scripture as the perfect, but that's not what he's actually talking about here. He's not talking about the perfection of the canonized scripture that we have, which is the standard and the foundation of all of our faith and our hopes in God. But what he's talking about is ultimately the redemption of Christ, the return of Christ by which and through which he restores rather all things. How do we know this? Because he says very clearly that for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, meaning we will see Christ Jesus face to face 
in his return, when he returns, the Bible says, will be changed in a, tw- in a snap, in a twinkling of, a, of an eye. And our, our mortal bodies will be replaced with redeemed, glorified, spiritual bodies made like Christ's resurrection body so that we can live and rule and reign eternally with him. That's part of the promise and the hope of the gospel. When Christ makes his return, we see in part, we know in part right now, but then we shall know fully. We, even as a church, no matter for all of our studies right now, we don't know God in his fullness yet, but he says, then we shall know fully, even as we've been fully known. But until that time, faith, hope, and love abide. But the greatest of these is love. That to make the world to be a preservative, the salt and light of the earth, the light of the world, which God has intended his church to be. In the meantime, until his return, you are to make the world a better place by the love that he pours out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Not only does it inspire hope in us, but it's actually the love that is motivating us through the power of the Holy Spirit to make the world a better place. And that's good news to us. Now, this is important for the church to understand because a lot of times we may even fixate on his mission to make the world a better place through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus and the making of disciples, but we don't realize or we don't really fully embrace the motivation of love that he intends for us. And that's really no different than the early disciples who for three years during Jesus' earthly ministry were walking with him, but were sometimes missing not only his motivation, but his MO, his mode of operation in relationship, even to a world that that then was presently rejecting him. And in Luke chapter 9, we see how even the disciples who had the Old Testament as an example to them, they had the Old Testament showing them that God was in his nature all-powerful. He was El Shaddai, as expressed in Genesis 15. And they'd read the stories of the prophet Elijah, who in trying to point to the God of Israel as the one true God, had a showdown in 1 Kings chapter uh, chapter 18 with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And in the midst of Elijah offering sacrifices to the one true God, God came down with fire and burned up the offerings that Elijah was presenting to him with power, testifying to the fact that he alone was God. And the disciples had this in their mind and they had this as an expectation that God is powerful. He's El Shaddai and he's real, but they forgot the motivation, what love actually looked like as demonstrated by Jesus. And in chapter nine, verse 51, we see when the, it says, when the days drew near for him, meaning Jesus to be taken up, meaning that after he died on the cross and was resurrected from the dead, where is Jesus now? He ascended to the right hand of the Father and is interceding, even as we speak, for the believers, for the saints, that they might stand in all the will of God and continue to advance his purposes in love. It says, when the time drew near, meaning for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem where he would die on the cross. 
And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans. And the Samaritans were those who were at odds with the Jews. The Jews held the law of God. The Samaritans had begun to blend both uh, in terms of their intermarriage and also their uh, doctrine with the world syncretism with the world around them at the time. And so they were at odds with the people of God often. And they went into this village of the Samaritans to make preparations for Jesus. But the people, meaning the Samaritans, did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But when he, meaning Jesus, turned, he rebuked them. And they went to another village. So basically, James and John, zealous for God, zealous for the things of God, zealous to, in their minds, make the world, even through the gospel, the good news of Jesus, a better place, were forgetting what love looked like, the motivation behind all of God's desires, efforts, and plans. And they said, should we not destroy those that you've literally, who are resisting you right now, who you came to give a chance to? They resisted you. They were you, let's destroy them. And Jesus rebuked the disciples. He said, you don't know what spirit of what you speak. That's what the little footnote in the, um, um, the, the physical Bibles that you read actually will tell you that some manuscripts actually say, you don't even know the spirit by what you speak. Because I didn't come to destroy the word, but to save it. And though they knew him as El Shaddai, God Almighty, they forgot that God had also revealed himself as Yeshua. That Jesus, his name, had meaning. And that name that was given by God to his son meant the Lord saves. He didn't come to destroy the world or condemn the world, but to save it through the life of his son. And that's what love actually looked like. That Jesus would be the standard of our salvation and love. And so we see that when we are trying to understand the love of God, we see that even in the Greek, as opposed to the English, where we have one word for love, the Greek had at least four words for love, and they were loves of a different type. And though the disciples might have been used to one or multiple of these particular types of love, they, they like us, needed to come into the agape love of God, which Jesus was perfectly exemplifying and then exhorting, teaching his disciples, including us now, to follow him in. The first type of love that was represented in the Greek was a storge love, which represented familial fondness, liking someone through familiarity as they find themselves bonded by chance, meaning that you love your family members, your brothers, your sisters, your uh, your um, parents, even that uncle that nobody really knows what they do or nobody really talks about, you love them because they're your family, right? Through that familiarity of the common bond that you share. That's a storge love. The second type of love that we see expressed in the Greek was a phileo love. It's actually the root word of even one of our main cities, Philadelphia. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And it represented deep friendship, as in the strong bond existing between people who share common values, interests, or activities. The third type of love that was represented in the Greek was the love that we all enjoy at the appropriate time, with the appropriate person in the covenant of marriage as blessed by God. 
<laughs> okay, is the eros love represented by the idea of sexual passion and desire. Yes, we all want and enjoy that love, getting to that place of love, right? But the love that God says is represented in Corinthians when he says these three remain, faith, hope, and love, is the agape love of God. The agape love of God represented by selfless charity, the kind that exists regardless of changing circumstances. So what that means is that when everything around us has been shaken by a pandemic, by social unrest, by the political supercharged environment that we came out of, everything's been shaken, but these three things still remain. Faith, hope, and the agape love of God, the charity love of God. And to these things were called to these things we're called to reflect, and to these things we're called to walk in as we offer the good news, the gospel of Jesus to the world. And it's what, what enables us to really walk in the exhortations of men like Peter Bromberg, who said, when we avoid difficult conversations, we trade short-term discomfort for long-term dysfunction. We won't avoid the short-term discomfort. We'll actually tackle things in love that we need to, to move forward to a better day because we're motivated by the love of God. And the real test of our modern Christian worship, meaning who we, who or what we're actually worshiping, is really wrapped up in these two questions regarding love. Number one, is God worthy of my love? meaning my devotion and obedience, when I don't get what I want? Is God still worthy of my love and devotion when I don't get what I want? Even as we talk about faith and hope and now love, is God worthy of my worship when I don't get what I think I'm owed even by God? We're not remembering that we are actually owed death and hell, but through God's grace, we're given life through Jesus Christ. And the second question is really wrapped up in this. Are others to expect my love, meaning my commitment and care, even when they disappoint or offend me? Even when they disappoint or offend me, can they look to expect my love? The world around me, not just those in the church, but those outside of the church whenever they disappoint or offend me? Well, when God calls us to the agape love that he has for us, the answer is yes on both counts. God is still worthy of my worship. People are still worthy of my love and should expect rather my love. And so this shows us that it's not only an expectation, but it's also a labor, a labor of love. If that's what love looks like, we understand we're going to have to labor to walk in it, a labor of love. Why? Because it doesn't always come naturally. It doesn't always come naturally, especially when we've been disappointed, when we've been offended, or when we feel like we haven't been given that which we were actually due. And it's why God says love, the love that God has for us, must in fact be sincere. It must be sincere. And when we understand the love of God, it means that your efforts, regardless of how you feel about them, if they are done by choice in the motivation of God's agape love, they are 
received not only by God, but will in fact be useful for making your environment a better place because it's a seed being planted for God to make the world what he originally designed. And a man named G.K. Chesterton, which, who was an apologist of England back in the 1800s, he actually, he, <clears throat> he actually said this, that anything worth doing is worth doing badly. Anything worth doing is actually worth doing badly. And so love doesn't demand your perfection. Love demands your sincerity. It means that if I'm making a sincere effort to love people, that's a labor that only God can accept, but he can also utilize to actually work his redeeming plan in a world that's both lost and broken. And uh, I want you to understand this because this type of love and understanding love as a labor will free you from the fear that paralyzes you and causes you not to make efforts in moving forward when we know something ought to be done. Now, I'll tell you that I've come to understand this <laughs> predominantly because I'm a Marvel fan. And I'm a Marvel fan who's enjoying this golden age of Marvel movies and every Avenger or X-Men uh, sequel that comes out, I'm there, I'm locked in. But what I realize is that in the midst of this overconsumption of media during our time, we've somehow lost the, uh, the grounding that we need in real-time relationships, and we've instead found ourselves continually fantasizing about things as they woulda, coulda, or shoulda been, or things as they ought to be rather than how I'm going to make them to be. And what it does is it locks us up in fear and doesn't allow us to obey God's commandment for love to be a labor and sincere by choosing love over fear that would keep us from things. And what we need to realize is that demonic fear has to do with what could happen and imagine scenarios of harm even as you make efforts to make the world a better place by offering love, the agape love of God to people who might misunderstand you as you make efforts or misunderstand your intentions as you go forward with things. But love has to do with the people you actually know. You've got to understand this. It's not just you having good feelings or thoughts towards um, the world around you or people around you, but it's actually an engagement with the people that you actually know and the days that you actually live and the opportunities to do good that you actually have. This is the only life not a fantasy life, but the real life that you live in interaction with real people in real time. That is the only life to which God is going to hold you responsible, for which God is going to hold you responsible, responsible, obeying his commands in real time. It's not, he's not going to hold you responsible for the fantasy worlds or the dangers we look to avoid. He's going to hold us responsible to the opportunities that are right in front of us. Now, why do I say that? Well, Proverbs um, lays it out for us. The type of life we're to live, a labor of love we're to live, not only in our business work, but in our labor of love that we're to live in our world around us. When he said this in Proverbs 12, 11, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits 
lack sense. And I'm not talking about the Marvel movies now, the <laughs> worthless pursuit. I'm talking about fantasies. He says, if you work your land in love, you are going to have an abundant harvest of actually making the world a better place, seeing the kingdom of God going forward, seeing justice done amongst people groups, seeing people actually learn to value one another, esteem one another, esteem hard work and diligence, esteem actually people regardless of their uh, nationality, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their gender, regardless of their backgrounds or their socioeconomic distinctions. God says you're going to actually work your ground and actually have an abundant harvest of even loving relationship because you choose to reject fear and embrace a labor of love in your interaction with the world around you. But Proverbs 28, 13 through 16 says, but if we're lazy about it, just focusing on what could be or what might be the harm that comes back to us if we try to make loving efforts. He says, this will be our lot. The sluggard, meaning the lazy person says, there is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets, meaning talking about what might be out there. As a door turns on its hinges, so the sluggard on his bed, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Meaning he starts something. He says, well, we started a project, but we, we just didn't have the energy to finish it. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer sensibly. Meaning we're not considerate. We don't think about our fellow man and think about how to really love them. Not just as we love ourselves, but love them like Jesus loved them. See, Jesus said, a greater command I give you now. Before you heard me say, love your neighbor as yourself, but Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, which is actually thinking considerately, not only about who we're talking to, but how God wants to connect with them, becoming all things to all men, so that by all possible means, we might reach as many as possible and bring them into a reconciled relationship with himself through Jesus and with his church. In Christ, see, the beauty is is that when we look to labor and love, we get to transition from what could be, might be, and is coming for me to what I am destined to see, meaning the promises of the gospel as I choose him. We need to stop living in the unknowns and instead begin to reap the benefits of walking a life of love. Proverbs 11.25 went on to say, whoever brings blessing. When I'm looking to love, I'm looking to bring blessing to people. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered or one who refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. That takes labor sometimes, but have, is that your motivation as you go into the world to make it a better place? How do we move forward from here? We move forward by looking to be a blessing. And Proverbs 21, 21 says, whoever pursues righteousness and kindness, kindness, part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He says, whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor because ultimately we will reap what we sow. And if we sow in a labor of love to God, we will reap not only life for ourselves, but life 
for the world around us. As we sow the gospel, God's result or what he reaps from the world around us is the salvation of those who he came to die for and save. And that's where in Galatians chapter six, Paul's exhorting the church this way. He says, listen, it starts with you understanding God's redeeming love. And then because of God's redeeming love, which means he's buying us back from our slavery, buying us back from our bondage to hatred, discord, faction, envy, and strife, and bringing us once again into the freedom of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says, when you focus on God's redeeming love, you begin to understand this exchange. Not only has he given you his life for our destruction on the cross, but he's also given us the ability to love and the ability to redeem this world through the love he's given us through a process of sowing and reaping. And that's why he exhorted the church, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life for yourself. But then also you'll also be a part of releasing and seeing that eternal life spread in the world through the proclamation of his gospel. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And that does mean everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. That is God's redeeming mentality, that no matter how God was treated, we rejected him in the world. He came intentionally in a redeeming love to buy us back through his son, Jesus Christ. And it's why Dr. Tony Evans ended with this exhortation, saying this um, to us that I'd like to share with you today. Jesus didn't wait until we got better to die for us. He died when we were in our most unlovely state. And the person who doesn't deserve love actually needs love more, not less. If you know someone unworthy of love, that's great. You now have a chance to emulate Christ because the essence of his love is unconditional. And that is the love that God's called us to. It is how God, through us laying down our lives for those that God actually loves and showing them the love that they don't deserve, showing them the grace that God has first shown us, that is how people's hearts are literally melted by the Spirit of God, transformed by the Word of God, and God breathes life into a dead soul, dead in their transgressions and sins, turning them by His kindness, many times expressed through you, to repentance that they might see the light of Christ, be saved from their sins, and then come into the freedom of God along with those who've also been redeemed by that love. And so to live that way, to live a life of laboring in love, we first have got to see that love. But when we see it clearly through God's word and through Christ's example, we can actually walk in the redeeming love of God as Christ remains our standard of love in his mighty name. And so first, I want to pray for us as a church 
to say, you know what, we all are part of this wave that wants to see 2021 be a better year and for us to make this world a better place. But we need to do it by the eternal charge of God to actually be those who know what love looks like, who actually are willing to labor in love, and then finally be committed to God's standard of redeeming love, not loving just those who are deserving of love, but loving the unlovable, which is really all of us when we understand our place before God. And so let me pray for us today that we be strengthened in that love. And then I want to make an appeal to those who may not have ever submitted their lives to Christ. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters today. God, may you once again show us clearly by your word and by your example who you are in your person, who you are in your character, who you are in your nature. That God, not only are you love, but you're the perfect example and demonstration of that world love to the world. That even when we were rebels and rejected you in our sin, even in our sin that we voluntarily transgress in day after day as Christians, God, you come for us again and again with a redeeming love to buy us back from our bondage, our destruction, and our sin. And God, we thank you for that. We worship you, but God, we're asking you to fill us with that love, not only for you, that we would choose you day after day over and over again, but that we would also, through the love that you fill us with in our interaction with you, help us to live in the redeeming love that you have for the world. God, we pray that you would give us a picture of what you you intended for this world from the beginning at creation, and you would help us to be your hands and feet, working and laboring in love to recreate this world as salt and light, as the city set on a hill, to recreate our city, our nation, and the nations according to your gospel and your word as we proclaim you as our standard of redemption. In Jesus' mighty name, strengthen your people today. Amen. And now if you say to yourself, you know what? I, 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 I won some of that love, but I've really never known it. And I've not known it because truly the only love I've really truly had is love of self, doing what I want, when I want, the way I see fit, doing what's right ultimately in my own eyes. But I know today that it's ultimately led me to destruction and Uh, if I were to stand before God today, he would have to judge me as a rebel, a sinner deserving of hell. But I don't want that. And today I want to be made right with God. If that's you, would you pray this prayer with me to come back into your peace with God through Jesus Christ, his son? Almighty God, I admit to you today that I'm a sinner. And I admit to you that I've been a rebel who's lived solely for myself, my pleasures, and my own desires to my own detriment. And God, I admit to you today that I also deserve death and hell because of my rebellion against you. But I don't want it, and I'm asking you to forgive me. Lord, I admit today that you sent your son Jesus to live the perfect life that I should have lived. And on the cross, die the sacrificial death that I should have died. And that three days later, because of his innocence, he was raised from the dead so that I could be offered forgiveness of sins and new life in you as I turn from my sin. God, I say I turn today and I'm asking you to forgive me. I proclaim you, Jesus, as my Lord and master today. 
Would you make me a new creation and make a home in me by the Holy Spirit, empowering me to live this life of love that you've called me to? I love you from this point forward and trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the good news is, is if you prayed that prayer sincerely, God said he's made you a new creation. So would you go with me to our website, secondcitychurch.com slash new life? There you can find not only resources, but next steps of how to walk out this new life of love along with the family of faith in community according to God's word. And are once again, not only filled with the love of God, but also encouraged to share that great love that he has for you with others who so desperately need it in the world. Now, we want you to know that we'll be continuing to discuss and encourage one another in these things in our community groups this week. If you've not found an option yet, please do go to our website where you can find both in-person and virtual options for you. Now, with this message, we encourage you, don't just have it and ingest it yourself, but also think about who you can share it with through a, a Facebook share or a like or a post this week. And also consider who you can invite who might also need to hear this good news of Jesus Christ next week at our service. We'll be praying for you this week. We want you to know we're here for you if you need anything at all. God bless you and have a wonderful week in the Lord. See you next week.